Hello and welcome back to Biola Backstage. My name is Charlotte McKinley and I am your host. Here with me today is someone that used to be my uncle's roommate at Biola when they both went here and is now an adjunct professor and applied instructional technology administrator for the Office of Digital Learning and Program Development. Professor Matthew Weathers joins us today to talk about his computer tricks and a few things that he's learned along the way. Thank you, Professor Weathers, for joining us today. I'm very excited to get to talk to you. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. So you graduated Biola in 1993 as a double major, which is crazy because I'm also a double major, but you're in a completely different field. You graduated with two degrees, in, well, not degrees, but two majors, and they were... Math and computer science. Math and computer science. I'm journalism and public relations, so like practically the opposite of that spectrum. So what was Biola like back then versus what do you see it now? Yeah, Biola was a different place just because the world was a different place. We didn't have internet or social media. Uh, there were, the first semester I showed up at Biola, there were telephones in each hallway but not in each room. The second semester, they installed telephones in each room. And so if you wanted to talk to anybody, you had to go out of the room, find the hallway telephone and call. And so it was just a different place. We had newspaper vending machines outside of each dorm so that people could buy newspapers. The chief reason to buy a newspaper was to look up the movie times, the local movie theater. Uh, now you look online for all that type of stuff. But it was, it was an interesting place. Uh, things change and morph and become different in all, all areas of life. Uh, and it was just an interesting time to be alive. What's one memory that you have that has just kind of stuck with you? Like, albeit funny or not funny or, or just something that you remember very well from back when you were a student? When we had chapel around Christmas time, Jeff Kennedy, the... Uh, guy who ran one of the choirs um one time he said oh we have some extra time so he did the 12 days of christmas just to use up like 12 minutes of the end of chapel in some christmas chapel thing but then that became a tradition and he'd split up each of the different parts of the gym and each part would be you know one of the 12 days but they then they had the is it 10 lords of leaping i think it's 10 and they knew that it was going to be this section that was going to be 10 Lords of Leaping. And so a bunch of guys from Stewart or somewhere lined up and they actually had people jumping from the top level of the bleachers and being caught like halfway down there. And he said he about had a heart attack when that <laughs> happened, but there would be crazy stuff like that happening all the time. <laughs> did you live in Stewart when you were on campus or where did you live? I lived in Horton, which was the same shape, a mirror image of Emerson, which was also a dorm. They tore down the old Horton, built the current one. So yeah, I lived in Horton all four years. Nice. So fast forwarding almost 30 years now. You're an adjunct professor here at Biola, but you're also the Applied Instructional Technology Administrator for the Office of Digital Learning and Program Development, which is a mouthful. <laughs> yes, good job. I, I forget that title half the time. Uh, what that means is that I help manage the uh, Canvas learning management system, and our office is in charge of making online content for online classes but we use Canvas for that, and so we also support teachers that are teaching on campus with Canvas, and I'm, I help manage 
all of the enrollments and making sure teachers know how to use the system and getting all of the classes on there and that type of thing. So when COVID happened, was there an increase of stress and making sure people knew how to do everything? Because everything went online and that's where your realm is. Yes, that's putting it mildly um, because before COVID, we, were, we kept saying, how can we get more people to use Canvas? It's a great system. We're trying to get more and more teachers to put more stuff on there. Then suddenly everybody had to put everything there. And so it was pretty stressful to get all of these things working online. But the, on the flip side, the good thing is that now everybody sees the value of, of putting things online. And so we don't have to convince anybody that it can be done, first of all, and second, that it can be useful. So when did you start in this role? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, you were a professor before doing this very, your, your A-I-T-A-O-D-L-P-D. <laughs> yeah, so I started teaching at Biola part-time when I was working as a programmer in the industry, um, August of 1998. And then I slowly taught more and more for the next couple of semesters until eventually I was working full-time. But then it was part-time when I was finishing up grad school. And so I think I started in this kind of role, quarter time, then half time. And, but now I'm full time. So I was a full-time teacher for a couple semesters. Um, but at this, at this point, I'm full-time for the Office of Digital Learning. And technically, all of my teaching is adjunct on top of that. So part-time teacher still. One of the things that makes you unique among other professors, especially in the mathematics department, and something that I remember hearing from my dad way before we even visited Biola was how you managed to go viral with your computer tricks. So for those of you who don't know, also we're in an audio format, so I can't exactly pull up a video of what you do. Could you explain what it is that you do? Sure, you can just go to YouTube and look up my name, Matthew Weathers, or Math Professor Prank, or something like that, and you'll find me. But basically, I have a couple of, I, I call them pranks, but they're not really, they're more sort of like performance art type thing, where I interact with what's on the screen. So there's a video of me on the screen doing something, and then I talk back and forth in class to the uh, projector, you know, the projector screen, um, and do little jokes like that. Um, and some of them went viral, even from the very beginning, back in 2009, 2008, I think was the first one. So, yeah, it's it's that kind of thing, and apparently people like watching it. A couple years ago, someone found out and really liked it, apparently, because you got flown out to Jordan for a conference. Could you explain how that all happened, how they contacted you, who, in fact, was the person who wanted you there, and all, all that, like the entire story? Sure. I got an email saying, hey, we want you to be a uh, conference speaker at a conference. And I was like, what? It was in a badly written English, so I wrote back. And I was thinking, is this some kind of scam? I was like, is this going to cost me any money, I asked them. And they said, no, no, you don't understand. We want you to come do your trick, your YouTube trick at the beginning of this tech conference. Um, and it, you, don't, you don't have to pay for anything. It'll be um, under the patronage and in the presence of His Majesty King Abdullah II, the King of Jordan. I was like, oh, okay. And so that was in February. And by September, we had come up with an idea, had done some stuff. There was one little piece that I needed to film once I got there. So I said, hey, can I bring my colleague? So let, they let me bring my colleague, Joseph Rubio, the video production manager, 
at the, in the office of digital learning. So the two of us flew out there and uh, yeah, it was great. They flew us out there so we could film this thing, edit the video, and the first five minutes of the conference is all we were doing. We were just starting the conference, a bunch of, you know, sort of tech people and businesses in MENA. I don't know if you've ever heard of MENA, M-E-N-A, Middle East, North Africa. And it sort of refers to the Muslim nations in that area. So that was a, it was great. It was super stressful. But once we finished, then we were done. We could just enjoy the conference. We went to Petra. And so it was only four days, but it was amazing. Didn't you get flown out first class and then your associate had to stay in like the regular person's seating? Yeah. So when they said they would pay for it and I said, hey, could I bring my colleague? Um, they thought he was more of an assistant. So like, oh, yeah, we'll fly him out there. So I got a first class seat and he was back in economy. But on the way back, I was like, uh, hey, I'll wait for you to go down the jetway um, so just we can walk on together. So on the way back, I was like, oh, I have something for you. It's like, let me see which your boarding pass. And I switched boarding passes with him. I was like, you're taking the first class way on the way back. You'd be Mr. Weathers on the way back. Because it's really great to be able to fly international in first class the first time. Doing it the second time is also great. But just having the experience at least once is way better than, you know, doing it the second time. So I wanted to have him fly first class too. So it was great. If, if you never, if you ever get a chance to fly first class, I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how long was the flight? And then also, what were the perks that you had in first class? Yeah, so we flew from Orange County to Chicago, then straight from Chicago to Amman on Royal Jordanian Airlines. And, uh, you know, I tell people when they say, oh, how was that flight to Jordan? I, I say, oh, it was interesting because I have the seat and I pushed the button. And it started leaning back and it kept leaning back and I kept pushing it. And then it leaned down until it was a flat bed. And they're like, what? I don't know. I didn't know that they did that. I was like, yeah, I got to go first class. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it was nice because, you know, the plates are real. The silverware is metal. And Royal Jordanian, they, do, they don't, like, serve you individual portions. They have this cart that comes along. And they say, okay, how much do you want of this? And they're, like, spooning it out of this big catering dish. So it felt, even even that experience felt very Middle Eastern. And so, of course, Middle Eastern hospitality is famous for, you know, being great hospitality. So that was really fun, too. And then going back on in the economy, was that, were you up with your knees up to your chest or was there a little bit more room? No, I sat next to this elderly couple and they were great and it was fine. I mean, I was tired by that point and it's not too long. Eight hours? Eight hours is not that long. I mean, it feels like a long time when you're stuck in a plane, but... Uh, my parents live in Tucson, and it takes me eight hours to drive from here to Tucson. So, you know, it's not not that bad. Not the end of the world. Yeah. 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 So when you were at the conference, it was a technological conference? Yeah. So basically, it was a bunch of businesses, mainly around the idea of cell phone and mobile communications. Oh, let's see. It was the ICT I wish I remember what that stood for, International Communication Technology or something like that. Anyhow, it's only every two years, but they just get together and do this type of thing. But it was interesting because the conference started with my prank. Actually, so they, they stood up, they did the national anthem of Jordan, and the flag is up there. And then as soon as the national anthem finishes, I walk up there with no explanation or no introduction or anything. 
And I said, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. And then I bring up this uh, PowerPoint and then it starts having problems that like doesn't work and it go goes backwards because it's like Arabic is backwards, but then English is because I, I thought that would be the best kind of prank to have something go wrong, like horribly wrong. And because this is an honor shame based culture, how embarrassing to have a tech conference where the very first thing, everything is going wrong. And so I, I pushed that to the limit and I was like, oh dear, are this is this going to go over well? I was like a little nervous because the whole crowd was like silent. They were like all super embarrassed for me that everything was going so badly. But then of course I'm like, oh, let me go check back here. And then I go behind the screen. Then they realize, oh, it's a prank. So, <laughs> but I was nervous for a minute there. I'm like, oh dear, maybe I maybe I pushed this too much. It's It's this Middle Eastern culture I don't understand, but they liked it. Afterwards, they're like, oh, that was great. Did you have to have a translator or anything or? No, they did the conference in English. I think almost everybody there spoke Arabic too, but it was several different languages. Uh, I mean, lots of different countries were presented. So most international conferences like that are conducted in English, although they had a couple sessions in Arabic. Okay, cool. So how did you get into this computer prank? How did I start the idea yeah. in the first place? Yeah. Well, there used to be a classroom in Bardwell, which used to be the, the science building, that had a chalkboard, and then right in front of it was a projector screen. And so I would teach my large math class in there, and sometimes I'd write on the chalkboard, but then I'd have to put the projector screen up and then put it back down again to show some stuff. So I'd always be putting the screen up and down. But there's quite a bit of gap between that screen and the chalkboard, and one day in class I realized, oh, I could just walk behind here and like hide in front of the whole class right behind the screen. I didn't do it, but then I thought, oh, that gives me an idea. And so I started thinking up ideas like, what if I walk behind the screen right as I'm walking into the frame? So the first couple of videos were just sort of simple things where I'm like walking into the frame and, and uh, nothing fancy with that. Now, at the time, uh, all film majors had to take that nature of math class and so I had lots of film majors in my class so over the years it kind of evolved in doing more and more elaborate types of things and then eventually I'm like alright I gotta go learn Adobe Premiere so I can make my own things and so over the years I just did different variations on that same theme. Do you in your classes how often do you do that? So I don't teach that class anymore so I haven't yeah. been doing it lately um, but I think I typically, I did it most April Fool's Days, and sometimes, you know, something in the fall, too. But, I'd, yeah, unfortunately, I don't teach those large classes anymore. That kind of thing works better in a large class, and so... And I'm sort of fresh out of ideas. <laughs> I did the same thing over and over again, but it was fun, yeah. But now you have a new crop of students, so... That's true. I don't have anything specific planned right now. I, I do like to do more educational stuff, like I have... A couple videos about how the mathematics of Bitcoin works, a little bit about the geometry of the shape of the Earth based on observations of the moon, stuff like that. So I have a couple things and lots of, I have a couple ideas of other types of videos that I'm sort of working on in the background too. So your YouTube channel, which I looked at before you came on, I noticed that your last video was about 10 months ago or something like that. Yeah, it was a Christmas of 2021. So you're not, you're not, you didn't, you're not resigning from YouTube. No, you no. still have some ideas. Yeah, I still have some ideas. Okay. My buddy, Joseph, my colleague, he says, I have some teenage daughters and they're all on TikTok. You should be on TikTok. I'm like, oh, <laughs> let me go look at TikTok. We'll be fine. So I don't know. I might try to do some other 
YouTube shorts or Instagram reels or whatever they're called on Facebook, Facebook videos, I guess. Um, so who knows? And I'm sure TikTok has a time limit too, that that'll be the old thing sometime and there's going to be some new thing, the new hotness coming on later. What got you started in YouTube putting some of these pranks up or other videos? So I've posted my very first video because I got a tour of Horton while it was under construction of July of 2006. And so we went through and I brought my video camera and I was like, oh, this is cool. Look at this. And then I thought, oh, I bet the people, my students who are going to live in Horton might like to see this. I wonder where I can post this. And I had heard of YouTube and, and I said, oh, you can post things for free and they don't charge you and people can watch it. So I posted my first video in, yeah, that summer of 2006, which was less than a year after YouTube started. And I've kept that video up there because among YouTubers, it's kind of standard practice to always keep your original video up there so you can see where you came from and that kind of thing. We live in a very visually oriented society and culture. And even my pranks are a little bit playing with that idea, like what's real versus what's on the screen. Is what's on the screen real or is it fake? Is it, is it, how, how can it interact with the real world? And so even in the video you mentioned from 2017, where I'm pulling a lightsaber out of the screen, I mean, that, that asks that question. It's just sort of a silly version of that question, but I think it strikes a chord for people um, just because we're asking questions about how much of what we see on the screen is real. What What is real? How much, where do we spend our time? If you have friends that you only see through Zoom, are they real friends? Or if you mainly interact with your friends through TikTok, what, what kind of reality is that? Those are good questions. I don't know. Going back to a few other things, you mentioned a few different ideas that you had upcoming for other YouTube videos and I just want to ask first of all what drew you to math in the first place and second what because there's so much like with math like I am not a numbers person but I have several friends who are obsessed with math like that was their degree and there's other people who are like pure math is the math to go and, and there's a, like beauty and and intricacy and everything and I'm like I, I barely know what two plus two is or barely know how to long divide well, I, I know a little bit more than barely but still so what interested you in math and then can you explain about your master's degree that you completed too yeah so I did my master's degree in computer science not mathematics but because I have a degree in math also uh, that's, that's why I ended up teaching that math class. And I just love the idea of ideas. Like I think interesting ideas or um, artful constructions of ideas or explanations are really interesting. And so I think that um, our culture kind of teaches math as thou shalt memorize these formulas and do these procedures. And that's just about the best way to destroy interest in mathematics. And unfortunately, we've done a really good job at doing that. Instead, I, I would hope that people would see mathematics as the poetry of ideas or the art of explanation. And so we don't teach art by saying, okay, memorize these colors that when you paint a landscape, you need this color of blue and you need to make this shape of a mountain and draw the house exactly like this. So why in the world do we do that with mathematics? 
I'm not sure because I think the ideas of math can be seen poetically. So, for example, if you draw a cube, uh, sorry, a, a square, a perfect square, and then you draw the diagonal across that square, how big is that diagonal? If the, if the square is a one-by-one one square, how big is that diagonal? Well, it turns out that you can't write that number down. And there's a really interesting explanation, step-by-step, step, that you cannot write that as a fraction. Now, if you want to memorize the math definition, it would be something like, oh, the square root of 2 is an irrational number, and this is the definition of irrational number, and memorize this and do this. I'm like, okay, fine, that's true. But I think it's interesting to think about that in terms of the history of ideas. Like, oh, isn't it interesting that no matter how hard you try, you can't write that number as a fraction? So stuff like that are examples of the way that math should be taught. In my opinion, if I were king of the world, <laughs> which I'm not. It's a good thing I'm not, actually. <laughs> so what's one thing, is specifically in mathematics, that when you learned it, or when you teach it to students, it just blows your mind or blows their minds. Like they had no idea before or it's like a revelation to them. Well, one example that I teach in my nature math class when I teach it is this idea of um, countably infinite versus uncountably infinite. So it turns out that you can construct ideas of how to determine how sets are related if they're the same size or not. And there's something called countably infinite, which is the series one, two, three, four, dot, 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 that goes on forever. And that size of infinity is big enough for all kinds of things, all rational numbers. But it turns out there are other types of numbers that don't fit in that set, that there's a higher level of infinity. And so not only is there countably infinite, but there's something called uncountably infinite that is larger than that. And in fact, there's some another one larger than that, and then another one larger than that. So with just a couple of key ideas, you can realize that there's more than one level of infinity. And I think that's a mind-blowing idea. And I think that that is a little hint into the nature of who God is. God's love is infinite. God's care for us is infinite. His wisdom, all to those type of things. Now, of course, understanding these sort of vague ideas of infinity doesn't lead us to Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world and our need for him specifically, but it's more general revelation. And I think mathematics is full of that kind of thing. We can see design and order in the universe, and that leads us to think, hmm, maybe there was a orderly designer of the universe. And so it may hopefully lead some people to look to the infinite, look to God. And then once they are at that point, that's where the, once they see creation, then revelation comes along. Once we see God's world, then we look to God's word to see the rest of the of the story. Or the book of nature, as they used to say, and then the book of scripture. Mm. Before I ask the final question, I would like to know, what classes do you currently teach? Uh, right now I'm teaching a online class for the uh, business department, so management information system, which is basically computer science type things for uh, business majors. And then I also teach the intro to computer science class, which is how to do basic programming. It's sort of the beginning programming class, which is really cool because then we were made in God's image as creators. And so we create little worlds in the computer or, or little systems. And so we're exercising that part of our image of God, um, even in doing that class. Cool. So 
The last question that we like to ask everybody when they come on the podcast is, what's one piece of advice that you have for Biola students? I would say be intentional. In other words, uh, I think a lot of our culture is reactive. Like, if there are problems or challenges, you're like trying to figure out how to react to it or to cope with it. And I would say, well, how about turn it around and actually get ahead of those problems or ahead of those opportunities and be proactive in what you do. So instead of getting behind in all of your homework and, and assignments, what, what would it be like if you ahead of time decided how much time you're going to spend on each class and worked on stuff ahead of time and, and just learned things on your own rather than just merely responding to the assignments? Another example was um, one this floor of guys had this camp, uh, this uh, cookout thing around the campfire and they said, hey, why don't you come like give us a little talk about something? And so I chose the topic of how to survive a plane crash uh, just as something interesting. Fun fact, by the way, most people survive fatal plane crashes. Interesting. A, a fatal plane crash means that at least one person died. If only one person dies, maybe 200 people survive. So anyway, it turns out that in all kinds of dangerous situations like plane crashes or active shooter situations, whatever, that a key thing is to be proactive and decide what to do ahead of time. Um, so when the uh, flight attendant says, count the number of rows to the nearest exit, you should actually do that. And it, you should actually run in your mind, now, if there's some problem and I need to get off the plane really quickly, what am I going to do? Okay, there's seven rows up there. And if I can't see, I'm going to go over here, then climb up there, then go out that door. And thinking about it ahead of time just, just puts it in your mind so that if something does happen, you can on the spot say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And instead of sitting there being panicked and not worried, you know, wonder, you know, frozen in, in, in action, you can be proactive. So that's an example. I would say the general principle to answer back to you, long-winded answer to your question. The basic answer would be learn to be proactive in lots of different ways in your school, in your spiritual life, in your relationships and everything. Perfect. Thank you so much, Professor Weathers. And thank you for taking the time to talk about a whole host of different questions and the follow-up questions and the curveballs I threw at you that you definitely weren't prepared for. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, thank you. I appreciate this. This was an honor to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biola Backstage. It was a pleasure getting to talk with Professor Weathers and hearing stories from his life. Next week, I am excited to bring on Dr. Gary Lindblad, the Dean of the Kroll School of Business. He has new music dropping and even let us listen to a few sneak peeks of the songs he's releasing. You definitely do not want to miss that. Until next time, Biola.